It seems like forever since I made a podcast. The last one went out a few days before Christmas, and I decided to take a break over the holidays. Man, it felt great. Nothing's changed much in these mountains of western North Carolina. Lots of rain, then cold weather. I woke up yesterday and it was 11 degrees. Now that's real 11 degrees. Not the wind chill business that they talk about in the news on TV today to make it appear that it's colder than it really is. Mama and Razzie, they're doing fine. They can tolerate the cold pretty well. I still walk down every morning with Sammy to feed them. They get more goat feed than before because there isn't much on the mountains for them to pick. They get hay every day and, of course, their treat, apple, carrot, celery. And if I have any extra bread, they get a piece of that. I still believe they're pregnant. Mama, almost for sure. Oh, Clifton had an operation before New Year. Not that serious, but he can't be active or lifting anything for a month and a half at least. I volunteered to feed his animals for him. So after I feed the goats, I walk to his barn. On the way, I feed Molly, his old Mustang horse, some apple or a carrot. She stands there waiting for me every day. Then I head to his chicken coop. It's in the middle of one of his lower cow pastures, like an island. Cows walk past it often to drink out of the creek, which passes by. And if you ever seen a cow pasture in the winter with the rain, it is a sea of deep mud and muck. So I walk gingerly through this swamp every day. I, I don't have any rubber boots to feed cracked corn to his chickens. Before they got to know me, they'd squawk as if a coyote were coming after them. Now the chickens and the rooster do know me and wait excitedly for their feed and some bread. Then I take Molly her feed, one scoop from a bag of horse feed. She does love this feed too. Then Sam and I walk about 150 feet over to Molly's barn and to her haystack. I peel some hay off of a big roll with a pitchfork and shove it under the fence and I make a pile of it. And after Molly finishes her feed down below, she walks quickly across the pasture to get to her hay. I know she enjoys it because she knickers happily. Molly is a big horse, a Mustang. She lives alone in her pasture and seems to enjoy this very simple life. Done with that, Sam and I finish our walk, maybe another half mile. And we are happy to get back to the warm house. Hello. This is Ernie Johnson, founder of Anashira, and I am very happy to be here with you again, wherever you are. Let's go back to my senior year in high school when I began to decide what I'd do next with my life. I grew up in a solid Methodist family in Central California. My paternal grandfather and great uncle were working ordained ministers. Almost all of my parents' friends and acquaintances were active in our church. The exception might be my dad's volleyball teammates, whom he knew from the downtown YMCA. 
When I grew up, my social activities were mostly involved with church groups and other activities. Boy, you look at me today and you'd never guess that. Seriously, it was a healthy way to grow up. I genuinely liked and respected my parents' friends, and I knew the feeling was generally reciprocated. I was lucky and able to communicate well with adults. When I got to high school, my world opened up somewhat as I became active in sports, mostly running cross-country and track. But I remained active in our church, especially in our high school group, the Methodist Youth Fellowship, which we knew as the MYF. I got to my senior year in high school. I had a good group of buddies, did my share of misbehaving, but was a good student. I was lucky. I didn't have to work too hard at it. I was also gifted with some athletic prowess and helped our track and cross-country teams to three years of excellent results. I will tell you, I wasn't much of a ladies' man. It all seemed so complicated, and it seemed to take a lot of time and energy. If I found some quiet time, I'd just rather sit down and read a good book. So it was October of my senior year. Many of my buddies and classmates were already making plans for college. But most of them weren't really stressing about it. In those days, it wasn't like it is today. Now I see kids organizing their lives with the active involvement of their parents when they're 15 or 16, maybe even younger, getting involved in activities that will look good for college admissions officers, making any sacrifice required to get near that magical 4.0 grade average, joining the right clubs, running for student office. They know the top school they want to attend with maybe a couple of alternates. They spend much of this energy and attention on the mission to get into the right college. I was so lucky. I didn't care. I didn't have a plan. I did know I'd go to college. I just didn't obsess with which one. So I was very curious when one of my dad's good friends, Bill Hansen, asked me to sit down with him one Sunday morning during the First Methodist Church's social hour. I should explain first. Our church was very active in a worldwide program called the International Christian Youth Exchange, or ICYE. Churches from many denominations participated. This program placed students their first year after graduation from high school to live with a family abroad in dozens of countries as a member of a family. Every year our church would pick a student to sponsor to join the program and have a student come and live with one of our local families in return. And up until now, every one they sponsored was accepted. The church paid all related costs as well. Bill's daughter, Wendy, was currently in Holland. His son, David, had participated in the program, and we'd had a number of foreign students spend a year in Fresno as members of our church and community living with one of our families students from Germany, Brazil, Iceland, and other countries. I wasn't too surprised when Bill said, Ernie, I don't know where you're planning on going to college, but have you ever thought of living abroad as an exchange student? Well, no, not a lot. If you did want to go, the church would be pleased to sponsor you as our student next year. 
Wow. I thought for a moment. That's very flattering, Bill. Can I have a few days to think about it? Of course. When would I need to make a decision? We'd need to get an answer in a couple of weeks. So if it's no, we could approach someone else. Thanks, Bill. So I left with my mind buzzing. Move abroad, live with strangers, learn a new language, not know a single human. It was a lot to consider. But the more I thought about it, the better it sounded. I'd never been a big fan of Fresno. I thought it was just a big town that had none of the positive attributes of a city and many of the negative aspects of a small town. I had nothing specific I wanted to do with my life, no particular university I was dying to go to. This would give me a chance to see some of the world and have some new experiences before I had to make any firm commitments. So I reflected for a couple of days and then asked my folks to sit down with me one evening. I need to talk to you both, I said to them. I could see they were shocked. I'd never asked both of them to sit down and talk. In fact, I avoided situations like that, like the plague. We sat down at the kitchen table for what I thought was going to be an easy conversation. Hey, they'd get me out of their hair for a year. So I started off. Bill Hansen spoke with me last Sunday. He said the church wants to sponsor me to go abroad with ICYE next year. He says he's pretty confident I'll be accepted. Whew, the answer was quick. No way, said my mother. You can't do it, said my father. I was completely shocked, dumbfounded. What? Why not, I asked. My mom looked at my father. Howard? Well, it's a terrible influence. You go over there and drink and smoke and you'd carouse. I hate carousing. No, it won't work. And who would pay? You know, if I'm going to drink and smoke, I'll do it here. You know, David Moon and David Hansen were exchange students and they didn't come back carousing. And you don't have to pay. There's no cost to you. The church has a budget for this. They pay everything. I don't want to have a stranger living in our house, my mother said. I paused. Well, you don't have to have anyone live here. There are people in the church who want to have a foreign student come live with them. It was fast. A simple no. I had not anticipated that. Not in a hundred years. So the next day I called Bill Hansen. Bill, we need to talk. I need your help. So I drove to Bill's office and told him of the conversation. He was surprised. Well, I'm glad you want to go, he said. I really want to go. They respect you, Bill. Two of your kids have gone with ICYE, and they like those kids. Maybe you can talk to them. Sure, I'll be glad to, he said. There was another member of our church, a Methodist minister who ran the college ministry at Fresno State, a man named Carol Moon. My parents liked him and respected him, and I liked him. And three of his children had gone abroad after high school as exchange students with the program. All of those kids had come back and led successful lives, none known as drinkers or smokers, and certainly not carousers. 
Do you think Reverend Moon would talk to my folks as well? Well, why don't you give him a call right now? I called Carol, and he said he'd be delighted to help. So, with Bill and Carol representing me, even my parents couldn't continue to oppose it. They gave their final approval. So I completed the application to ICYE the next week. Before that, I read their manual and instructions. The applicant cannot choose the country he or she will be sent to. However, you can specify two languages you prefer. You will be sent to the family and country which are the best fit for you and for them. Oh, great. I could be sent to Zimbabwe or Malaysia. I'd studied French in high school. I wasn't passionate about it, but I had some basic knowledge. So I wrote French and then Danish. Denmark would be a nice country to live in, I thought. So I finished this application and I sent it off. I was nervous. What if they refused me? I didn't tell many people what I'd done. I didn't want to have to explain anything to anyone if I was rejected. Although Bill Hansen said not to worry, of course they'd accept me. I was still concerned. About a month later, I received a letter from ICYE U.S. headquarters. I sat down at the desk in my room, opened the envelope, peered inside. Oh, the magic words. Dear Ernest, we are delighted to inform you. Oh, I was accepted. And I was delighted. One problem. I didn't know what language I had to learn or what country I'd go to. They had to put the whole puzzle together. Where each student would live, with which family. I would be told in May the language. And in June, it was when I would learn the family's location. May? Four months away? That was a lifetime for a 17-year-old. I could be studying my new language in those four months. So I waited. I finished most of my last year of high school. Waited. Last week of April, nothing. No word. May 1st, nothing. The next week, a letter. I-C-Y-E. I go into my room. I open the envelope. Take out the letter. I'm praying. Please don't let it say Arabic or Bulgarian. I opened it, squinted my eyes, and saw German. Huh. I'd never studied German. I'd heard it was difficult. Well, I knew. Germany, Austria, Switzerland, maybe Liechtenstein. Yeah. How am I going to learn German in three months, I asked myself. And then I thought of Eike Olsen. He'd come to Fresno from Germany as an ICYE student. He'd gone back to Germany, finished his German high school, and returned to Fresno to attend Fresno State. I called him, and I said I needed to talk to him. Ika, I need your advice. I've been accepted as an exchange student, and I have to learn German. What do you recommend? When do you leave? In 12 weeks, beginning of August. I'll tell you what. How hard do you intend to study? Ika, I'll do whatever it takes. He thought intently. If you'll meet with me four times a week for an hour and a half and commit to studying 
two hours a day, every day, I'll teach you myself. I won't even charge you. Your people have all been generous with me. Well, I thought, two hours every day plus six hours of class a week? What were my options? None. So I said, that's great, man. I'm in. And we started the next day. We used a famous textbook, Deutsch für Ausländer, German for Foreigners. I was proud when one day Ike said, it's time for you to memorize an important German phrase. He wrote a phrase in my notebook. Repeat after me. Frauen. Frauen. Wie Hunde. Wie Hunde. Sollten regelmäßig geschlagen werden. Sollten regelmäßig geschlagen werden. I knew the words Frauen, women, and Hunde, dogs, but not the rest. So what does this famous phrase mean? The translation is, Women, like dogs, should be regularly beaten. Ika, you're crazy. Famous to whom? Well, to me and my friends when we were kids. We used it to make the girls cry. Oh, we laughed about that. I thought it was entertaining. Never made a girl cry with it, but I remember that moment clearly. It was my first German sentence. Only, I couldn't really use it with anybody. A few weeks later, I received another letter from ICYE. Congratulations, Ernest, it began. It said I was going to live in Germany in a city called Oberhausen with a family called Adams. I said to Eike, tell me about Oberhausen. Well, it's a center of German heavy industry, huge coal mines, iron and steel production, blast furnaces. It was heavily bombed regularly in the war but I suppose it has been mostly rebuilt. Not the Alps, I guessed. I continued my classes until it was time for me to leave. I had to get to Philadelphia for about a week's orientation with all of the other American students at a place called Ursinus College. I packed my suitcase, put on a suit and tie, and went to the Fresno airport for my first ride ever in a jet. My family, a number of friends from high school, my girlfriend, and supporters from the church showed up to bid me farewell. It was a pretty good crowd. I got on that plane and I flew to San Francisco, where I caught a nonstop to Philadelphia International Airport. I was there a day early. My dad had suggested I get a room at the downtown YMCA. I found a bus at the airport that took me downtown. I hauled my suitcase to the Y and got a room. Single bed and a sink. It was hot and humid. I'd never experienced such humidity. My clothes were soaked through. The small room had a window which opened to a large light well. I looked out and could see only other windows of the Y. There was no air conditioning. I laid down to take a little nap and heard some rustling from the hallway. Someone seemed to whisper at my door. It was a dark building with dark hallways. It gave me the creeps. I stayed still on the bed, didn't move. After a while, I heard more rustling. 
I heard something at my door. Someone slid a piece of paper under it. Uh Uh-oh, what's that? I waited and then slipped over and picked it up. I read, hello, I saw you come in. I'd like to meet you. Please come outside. I was spooked. I lay all night in my bed, in my clothes, awake. At that time, only men and boys were allowed in the YMCA. I really hadn't thought about it until that night. Morning finally came. I didn't take a shower. I didn't want to go to the common shower room. I hustled downstairs and found the bus to Collegeville, Pennsylvania, 25 miles away, where Ursinus College was. I cannot describe how happy I was to get there and see hundreds of healthy, smiling young men and women and a dorm with safe shower rooms. We met and talked and learned of what we could expect, what we should not expect of our next year. I do remember the heat and humidity. If this is what the weather in Germany is, I'm going to have a tough year, I thought. After about five days, we all caught buses to JFK Airport, about a two and a half hour ride away. We were dividing groups depending on our country of destination. Some kids headed to Africa, some to the Far East, some to South America. My group was off to Europe. The bus stopped at a terminal. I could see the sign. Icelandic Airline. We got off the bus, got in line to check in for our charter flight. We had all been clearly told, your suitcase can weigh no more than 20 kilos, 44 pounds. If you check in one pound overweight, you'll open it and remove one pound of your things and leave them. There is no excess baggage. So we're in line and I saw a number of kids with their suitcases open around on the floor, deciding what to throw out. Icelandic Airlines was the lowest cost airlines at the time to fly to Europe. We thought this rule was somewhat draconian until we go to the gate and saw the plane we were going to fly in, a DC-3. This was a two-engine, propeller-driven airliner that had revolutionized air transport way back in the 1930s and 40s. Production was stopped in 1945. Man, this was 25 years later. We found out we would not be flying directly to Amsterdam, our destination. We'd fly first to Gander, Newfoundland, refuel, and then fly to Reykjavik, Iceland, refuel again, and then on to Amsterdam. So we boarded, Settled in. It was a pretty plain, shiny aluminum. We hadn't been in the air long when the flight attendants come down the aisle with trays. Snacks, crackers, cheese, nuts, and a small bottle of wine. Wine. My own bottle. That I didn't have to sneak out behind the shed to drink. This is not bad, I thought. We all had a good time. We were about half guys and half girls. There was a staff person, but no chaperones. So this was what freedom was like. We had a short stop in Gander and then on to Reykjavik. Some of us got off the plane as they were refueling 
and went into the restaurant for a cup of coffee. They brought the cup white, full of black, black coffee. It looked like petroleum. I put in a spoonful of sugar, took a taste. Whoa! Added several more spoonfuls. It was so thick and strong, the teaspoon practically stood by itself in the middle of the cup. We looked at each other and smiled. I guess it really is going to be different over here, said one of the girls. I slept some on the leg to Amsterdam. I figured it'd be a long day. We landed, passed through customs. I had my passport stamped for the first time in my life. We were separated into groups based on our destination country. Holland, Belgium, France, and so on. The biggest group was headed for Germany. We carried our suitcases over to our bus. Now, I'd been on buses before. School buses, charter buses, Greyhound buses. But this was something else. Tall, clean, roomy, sleek, quiet. The driver was polite and spoke perfect English. I'll be driving you directly to Radevormwald, Germany. It's not a long trip. We'll be there in three hours. Radevormwald? None of us knew how to pronounce it, much less where it was exactly. But we were flexible. We were young. So we arrived at a large meeting facility and for the first time heard German all around us. I didn't understand a sentence. Maybe a couple of words, three months of intense studies, and I couldn't pick out a sentence. I wasn't the only one who felt that way. So we had seminars which taught us what to expect in our new lives, what the German school, the gymnasium would be like, what the typical German family did for recreation, what meals would be like, what they probably expected from us tips on how to assimilate ourselves into this new culture, this new freedom that we would have. Well, for one thing, drinking age was 18, but nobody really paid any attention to that. People even younger than that drank wine and beer. I struggled to soak it all up. And in front of me, just a couple of days away, I'd be picked up by my new Gasteltan, host parents. They'd sent pictures. The father... Wolfgang Adams was in his early 50s. He seemed strong and stern from the photos he'd sent. I had no plans to cross him. His wife, Lydia, was younger and had a nice smile. They had three sons. They'd be my Gastbrüder, my host brothers. Volker, the eldest, studied at the University of Münster. Ulrich, a year older than I, studied at the University of Cologne, and the youngest, Klaus, had left for St. Louis, where he would spend the year as an exchange student. They were all tall and blonde. I could see from their photos. Girls would certainly say they were good-looking. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I really do have to meet them in person before I describe them any further to you, and that's going to have to be in my next episode. I mentioned to you several months ago that I was developing a new soap. Well, I finished. It's called Deep Forest because of its sense of frankincense, myrrh, patchouli, and jasmine. A very light scent. I also used jojoba oil 
which is the world's most effective natural lubricant. You really should try it. People say it's excellent. There's a limited supply of this fine soap. You can order some quite painlessly on our website, anashira.com. Please send me your questions. You can email them to me at ernie at anashira.com. Don't worry about grammar or spelling. Hey, I talk to goats, chickens, and horses. I'll understand. Thanks for listening. Come back in two weeks, and I'll tell you of my life in Germany on Stories from Anashira. Thank you.